You're listening to the 105th episode of Two Views Movies Podcast on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sponsored by the Buffalo Funds. Want to ring the bell? All right. Ding, ding. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, a spoiler-filled podcast from Kansas City, Missouri, by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And it's our 105th episode, but we're talking the ninth Quentin Tarantino film today, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That we are. Is it only nine, nine that he credits himself with as being director, right? Yeah, well, I think you got to slam Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2 together. And then you just pick his official director billing, and then you go with that. That's that's the account that I've heard, and that's what I think he goes by because I think he said his next movie is his last. In his tenth, yeah, he went in on ten, and that's Star Trek, right? Yeah, apparently it's Star Trek, which which is odd, but whatever. That's Quentin, and I I don't think he's genuinely done either. I mean, I just don't see a guy like him being able to give it up completely. No, I agree. I agree. He'll come back. You know, give him ten years. Yeah, or or less. I, I, I he just seems like too much of a busybody. When you watch him in interviews and stuff, I just he fidgets. He's he's squirrely. Just a doesn't, little ADD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't <laughs> seem like the guy who can sit still for an extended period of time. But I'm anxious to talk about this one because I think that this was one of our most anticipated movies of the year for both of us. Definitely the most anticipated non sequel of the year. Non-sequel, yeah. Original movie, we could maybe say, because everything else is a, a franchise or a spinoff that we'd be looking forward to, at least are the big ones. So, and, and Tarantino movies always feel like an event. I, I don't know about you, but ever since you know Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction when we were younger, there's always been like, oh God, what's the next Tarantino movie and what's it going to be? And is it going to be bloody? And what's the subject matter he's going to tackle? It's, it, it feels like there's very few directors where their next movie is always an event and Quentin feels like one of them. Yeah, it's like especially when you're talking about the director, it's it's the new Scorsese movie, you know? Like right. it's the new Tarantino movie. There's very few that people look forward to just the like Jordan Peele. You know, it's not us, it's the new Jordan Peele movie. Yeah, exactly. And, and he then, only has two. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there I mean, there's maybe a handful. I, I would say Spielberg has fallen off that list. I mean, for me it's probably, you know, Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, Christopher Nolan. I was waiting uh, for you to do it. I wasn't gonna yeah. do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh Damien Chazelle would be another one, but there's there's a handful of, of those directors where you're like, Okay, I'm gonna see the next movie that they come out with no matter what. See, I think Spielberg has too many to be on that list. I think he comes out with, you know, too often to be on that oh the next spielberg movie it's more of a another spielberg movie well yeah and i think his quality has kind of diminished over the years i i agree but i just think he just has so many under his belt it's yep i just assume that that's another spielberg's movie yeah that's entirely accurate too when you only do one every decade like christopher nolan then you get that you know hype that's right the guy knows what he's doing in all <laughs> aspects of movie making. <laughs> all right, so let's uh, let's get this show started on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But first, let's say thank you to our sponsor, the Buffalo Funds. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Buffalo Funds, a family of mutual funds based here in Kansas City. When the stock market goes down, it may be a great time to contribute to your individual retirement account or IRA. Don't wait until the end of the year to get your free IRA investing report. Go to buffalofunds.com slash podcast. You can open up an account online directly with the Buffalo Funds and choose from their mix of U.S., international, dividend, or income funds. That's buffalofunds.com slash podcast. The funds, investment, objectives, risks, charges, and expenses must be considered carefully before investing. The summary and statutory prospectuses contain this and other important information about the investment company and may be obtained by calling 800-492-8332 or visiting buffalofunds.com. Read carefully before investing. Mutual fund investing involves risk. Principal loss is possible. The Buffalo Funds are distributed by Quasar Distributors, LLC. And yeah, thank you for Buffalo Funds for sponsoring this episode. 
Yep. And other things to take care of while we're here. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, whether that's Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, any of them. We're everywhere. And once you've listened, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps share our podcast with everybody who might also like it. So now we can get into it. Letterbox blurb on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. Obviously directed by Quentin Tarantino, who you probably know all of his movies, but just in case you don't, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and The Hateful Eight. A very monster cast like Quentin Tarantino normally does with Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Al Pacino, Kurt Russell, Timothy Oliphant, Dakota Fanning, Luke Perry, Mike Moe, Emile Hirsch, and Bruce Dern. And obviously there's tons of other people in these movies with little bit roles here and there, but that's the main cast, and that's the setup for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I didn't hear you say John Kreese. <laughs> I was so disappointed that he was only in that quick one shot in the very beginning. I mean, what a what a way to open a Quentin Tarantino movie with John Kreese sitting there in a black and white TV set. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Half a second of John Kreese. <laughs> I know. I wonder how many people actually caught that. I mean, he's there. It's obvious. It's not like you can miss him, but I was just disappointed that he didn't have more of a role in this. Well, and then the other thing is... Uh... You know, Luke Perry. Did you think that was going to be kind of his comeback role? I would have thought it would be been his comeback role if I didn't already know that he had passed away. So right, but I I think that that was you know he was set up to be back in movies again. Yeah, I mean it. That's what Quentin does, right? He usually takes some of these older guys who have kind of faded for some reason and puts them back in a role. And this wasn't a big role. I mean, he Luke Perry had what you know three or four minutes of screen time. So, but it's enough to maybe get back on the radar. And I know that there's a 90210 reboot happening too. So there would have been a lot of Luke Perry. I think he's been in Riverdale and stuff too. So while it might not be our uh, intersection of the Venn diagram with Luke Perry, I do think he's still around and still pretty prominent. Yeah. I'm just glad uh, Quentin's able to to jumpstart the careers of, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. <laughs> get to get well, them back I, in the limelight. He, he's clearly got, muses right i mean he had leo and Django, and then brought him back for this and he had brad pitt and inglorious and brought him back for this so uh, kurt russell was in death proof brought him back for this um so you know he's got the people that he likes to work with were you surprised sam jackson wasn't anywhere in this uh, yes i was i was surprised he was nowhere to be found because even in movies where he's not featured prominently he usually creeps in somehow There's some random piano player you know Yep, yep. So I was really surprised that that didn't happen. Maybe he's too busy on Spider-Man. Yeah, well, the guy is cranking out movies left and right. I would have thought he could have, you know, squeezed in a little part here and there. He always makes time. You want <laughs> yeah, him in Sam your movie? Jack- the answer is always yes. <laughs> yep, Sam Jackson does not turn down I would anything. love to see a script that he turned down. Just one. Yeah, I, I would be very interested to see what constitutes n- not... Not being a Sam Jackson movie, because everything is a Sam Jackson movie. <laughs> All right, so what did you think about this? What What was your initial reaction when you got done with the movie? Uh, what? <laughs> that was my initial reaction. That was so long and so boring. That's how I felt about this movie. Oh, no way. Yep. yep. I mean, I will. I will agree with somewhat of the first part it felt a little long to me this is the problem with this i don't know where i would tighten it up i'd need to watch it probably a second or third time to figure out where i would tighten it up but it did feel like it went long in certain stretches and i i'm not exactly sure how i could surgically cut that out but it could have probably been reduced by 10 to 20 minutes oh at least 30 i mean it's two hours and 45 minutes right it's uh yeah it's a long movie and there's so much of it of you know, you know, Brad Pitt driving, you know, you have, uh, and that's awesome. <laughs> now, now you, you started me off with what my initial reaction was, and there's so much I like about this, but there's so much that didn't work for me at all. And my initial reaction was, this is a Quentin Tarantino movie that I was really, really excited for. This did not feel like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Did you get that? Did you feel like it was it was not him at all? 
Well, so here's the thing. I, I had some side conversations with a few folks um, right after I got out of the movie, uh, besides my wife. And I, I said, in some ways, this is the most Quentin Tarantino movie ever. And in some ways, it's completely not a Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, so I do feel like it's it's two competing halves with each other. And I it's not that I don't like it by any means, because I, I definitely did like it. But it's it's really weird. I would say it's so kind of straightforward that it's really accessible where Quentin Tarantino usually is an acquired taste. And if people don't like him, they, they won't like any of his movies, but I could see people who didn't like any Tarantino movie before this enjoying this movie. I, I, I don't, I think the only reason that I'm even as high as I am are because of the actors that are in it. And because it's labeled a Tarantino movie and I'm trying to, my brain is fighting with how can a, Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio movie not be one of the best ones of the year. Directed by Quentin Tarantino, you have the recipe for everything. You even have a fantastic setup of an actor and a stuntman, you know, and, you know, hijinks to come. It, uh, everything, you mix that up into a pot and you feel like that's best movie ever made. And my brain is like, if these were any other actors, and I, I get you could do that with a lot of movies and it won't be as good but i think this this would have been absolutely terrible if it wasn't for you know brad pitt and leo in there well it's hard to say because you're taking the the top yeah top actors but i'm just saying the storyline and the plot and just how slow and long everything was and to be honest Margot was a throwaway like she wasn't in this at all like you didn't utilize her like truly at all yeah, so a couple of things here. That, that I know, I, did, I just on... were, were dumped on you of all no, my no. thoughts all at once. <laughs> no, no. But that's what I mean by the most Tarantino movie ever. Because one of the things he usually gets hammered for is these long dialogues. And everything is very character-driven. And things get a little loose. Now, where he usually has something to assist that is that he usually has a thread of a plot all the way through it. Where while characters are rambling and going off and doing these you know, different stories or there's different chapters or whatever happening, there's usually a main thread that ties that back together. And I do think that in this movie, he abandoned that thread. He basically said, I'm going to let the characters and the dialogue and the setting drive this whole movie. And that is Tarantino to the nth degree. I don't think it's not Tarantino. I think it's peak Tarantino to just say, Here's my characters, here's my setting, here's my dialogue. That's what we're going to do. We're going to follow these guys the whole movie, and that's all we're going to be. Um, I've been watching reruns of Seinfeld a lot lately, and it felt very much like a Seinfeld episode where there's no real core plot. You're just kind of following these characters who just happen to be going through some stuff. And thankfully, the characters are written so crazy well and acted so crazy well that you don't really care. At least I didn't care that there wasn't really a lack of a plot. So, I mean, you mentioned the dialogue, but this is like the first Tarantino movie that didn't have a memorable dialogue scene. I felt like nothing was memorable about any of the the conversations in this movie. Um, I don't know. There's some there's some good moments here and there. Now, is there somebody who's you know getting on their soapbox about foot rubs or giving a dissertation about the you know, Clark Kent versus Superman. No, I, I don't think that there's that big, long soliloquy moment, but or whether there's they definitely, give tips or not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there's definitely, I think moments that of, they might be by themselves. Like I really enjoyed the Brad Pitt, um, moment where he's flashing back to whether or not he killed his wife and you know, the interaction with Bruce Lee. I mean, that's kind of an inner monologue he's having with himself that plays out on the screen. I really enjoyed, uh, the moment where, Leonardo DiCaprio is trying to talk himself into doing good in the scene where he's yelling at himself in the trailer and then he goes back out and crushes that. Like those are moments that I think are very, uh, very memorable and they have good either dialogue in there, but I, I see what you're saying. There's not that like reservoir dogs tips moment or stuff like that where you're like, okay, that's the one quotable segment of dialogue that I can remember. But I do think they are very good moments there. And I think the more you rewatch something like this, I think the more that there those moments will come out. I mean those like the Inglorious Bastards. 
you know, the the scene in the farmhouse at the beginning. That is memorable. The, the tips conversation. You know, you go through Pulp Fiction, even talking about the Royale with cheese. You know, anything that's so off-the-wall type conversation that you're like, why is this in a movie? Oh, you just kind of thought it was a funny conversation that put in there. There, there was none of that. Not not one Tarantino-esque scene in there. Uh, see, I'll, I'll disagree. I think they'll come out the more that you watch them. I don't know how many people were walking around quoting Inglorious Bastards right after it came no. out. Like, did they remember the farmhouse scene? Sure, but do you remember what's being said in that? No, not in particular. I'm not saying quotable, but you remembered that was freaking, you know, bone-chilling coming from him. Well, you know, and well, right, you're but, just sitting there and you're just captivated by the whole scene. The whole scene was built around the dialogue. And I don't feel like any of this had that, you know, definitely nothing that, that Brad Pitt did, in my opinion. His was more, uh, obviously, people are going to remember the end, but that's more action oriented, which, again, is not really his his style. The and I say that, but not, that's not the memorable parts of his movies. Um well, I mean, I felt like that was the like the most quintessential Tarantino scene, right? Like, if you're going to say that the whole movie didn't feel like a Tarantino movie, if anything did, it's that last, you know, 10 minutes that goes down where blood's everywhere sure. and things are being set Flamethrower, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I'm fine with that, you know, because it finally something freaking happened, you know, and... <laughs> this is tough. I I knew this was gonna happen because this is not. You do not like movies where it feels like nothing happens. That's not well, your who, thing. Who wants to watch nothing happening? You know, because there the setup is could go a ton of different directions with these characters. You have arguably the two best actors of our generation in there, and one's his stunt double. And I, I don't know what you're gonna do with it, but you could do anything with Leo and Brad. You could just have them ad lib every line, and they that it would be fantastic. But it it was though. I mean, they I felt like their characters were fantastic, and I think they're probably one of, if not both of them, going to be up for awards. And I think they single handed. Well, I can't say single handedly because there's two of there's, them. There's but between the two of them, multiple handedlies. They, <laughs> yes, the, between the two of them, they carried an entire movie. Oh, I think they did great at their character. Like I said, I would not change their characters one bit, nor the actors playing the characters. Uh, I I love the setup. I think the movie was boring. It was so long, and I I felt like I was going to fall asleep. And I'm like, what what's going on here? Uh, I'm not supposed to feel this way in a Tarantino movie. Yeah, uh, and I get it. Like I said, it's long, it's meandering, but to me, it was still a fun watch. There's still moments throughout the whole thing that I enjoyed. Like I just liked being like feeling like I'm in a room with Leo's character and Brad Pitt's character, like their relationship and their characters in general were just really great to be around. I liked the setting of everything. I thought that Tarantino basically made late sixties Hollywood be another character in the movie. It wasn't just, Oh, we're going to put this in 1969 Hollywood. It's just like he made you feel like immersed in what that time period was. So it really felt like you're just following these guys around on you know their day-to-day lives and routines where they're trying to make it in Hollywood and I thought that it kept things interesting enough to where I I enjoyed it so how do you feel about the addition of uh the Mansons I thought that was great I think that I think there's a lot of metaphors built into this about how that that crime in particular and where it took place was seen as like the the end of an era out in LA and Hollywood and I think that it fits. And I, I will tell you the one thing I really like that he did with it is I felt like he subverted everybody with it because I think everybody's big question when they heard that this was going to happen was how is he going to address it? What is Quentin Tarantino going to possibly do with the Manson murders? And I like that he had it be sort of the background element to everything going on. So we're following the people that just happen to be right around it in like this really weird um, burn after reading almost type scenario that I like that in the end, especially he just subverts it all. He's like, yeah, this whole Manson thing is here and it was happening, but you know, it's not the focus of my story. And, but it, it impacted so much of the time frame in the area where this is at that I'm going to build my story around it. So I really like that. I was glad they didn't dive into it too much. Um, one of the best scenes, I think, for me in the whole movie 
is when Brad Pitt goes to the movie ranch uh, to try and check on, or you know, he takes the the girl who's hitchhiking down there, but then he's trying to check on his friend there. I thought that was an incredible scene. So there's, I like how he weaved it which in part? and out of a story. What do you mean, which part? When he's talking to his friend, or leading up to, or after? Well, I liked it all, but I would say the you just like it in Rumsfeld. <laughs> well, yeah, how can you not like Rumsfeld in any movie? <laughs> but I particularly like how for that stretch of time when Brad Pitt gets to the ranch and the time he leaves the ranch, it feels like a Quentin Tarantino directed horror movie. Like every single frame is like dripping with potential dread that I didn't think Brad Pitt was getting out of there. I thought Brad Pitt was going to die in that scene in this movie. I didn't think he was surviving. And the fact that he did, I thought was great, but it really played up the dread and stuff. I, I I loved that whole segment there. See, and I thought they had great anticipation going into that building. And then Mm -hmm. he said, talk. And the guy said, yeah, I'm fine. And then he left and it was a great leaving of the tension as he's leaving. But it was like, what? He just said he's fine. You know? He's yeah. in there, and like there wasn't even a. Again, that was a perfect time for you know great Tarantino dialogue between him and Rumsfeld or something. You know, just like yeah, I'm I mean, fine. I, I did think some of that was pretty good dialogue where he's like, the, "You talking about the redhead out there?" He's like, "I told you, I'm blind. I can't see." I mean, there's there's stuff there. I think that is funny and, and enjoyable. I just you know maybe it didn't resonate with you on on the the first time, but I feel like not all of Quentin Tarantino movies really hit you hard the first time. I think they, they typically require a couple of rewatches to really catch all the nuance and all the things that you like about them. I don't think so. Like which one? Oh, I think all of Quentin Tarantino movies for me have gotten better the more I watch them. So I really liked Inglorious Bastards in the theater, but on every subsequent subsequent rewatch, I, I've loved it even more. And I picked up on more new things that I like. I mean, I would say the same even goes for, you know, back in the day, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. I, I really thought that, you know, I'm sure when I watched them the first time, I thought they were cool. But the more you watch them, the more you pick up on all these little things here and there that make the movie greater. There's just there's so many levels and layers, I feel like, to his movies with references and characters and dialogue that you can pick up that it's just too much to take, I think, in the first sitting. But that's the key is that you thought it was cool and you liked it the first time because the whole thing was done really well and cool. This one, to force someone to watch it again to hopefully pick up some nuances aren't going to make it less drawn out and and boring <laughs> well, well when you say that you force somebody well sure i mean if somebody well, they didn't, didn't like it like the first the time you know, oh you'll like it better the second time he was like oh, am well, i really going to give it the second time chance cuz i didn't enjoy it really the first time well sure but i mean let's face it there's not probably a whole lot of movies that people watch where they don't care for it the first time and then they really like it the next time unless a drastic period of time has gone by i mean like i remember my mom watching pulp fiction back in the day when it came out and she hated it and like i wouldn't recommend her to watch it again because it's not her kind of movie and she's not going to find the nuance and the subtleties in there i'm saying if you're on the fence about it or even if you liked it a little bit i think if you the more you watch it you might appreciate it even more and like it even more but if you walked out of the movie theater saying that sucked i don't ever want to see it again i hated it i'm not gonna be like well watch it again and you'll you might end up really loving it i mean I might say watch it again and maybe, you know, you'll have a little bit of a change of heart, but I don't expect people to do 180s off this thing. Yep. Well, I don't anticipate having a 180 and I hate, I know I'm going to be in the minority just because people are going to like it just because of it's Tarantino, it's Brad Pitt and it's Leo. And <laughs> that's such a, that's such a low ball thing to it, say It is that you don't, you don't like it, but you think other people will like it just because of who's involved with that yeah. as opposed to, I don't know, maybe they just actually like the movie. Then you just don't happen to like it. Like, no, isn't that possible? Uh, no, um, it's not. <laughs> okay. uh, You're the arbiter of truth and justice when it comes to movie quality. And I don't the like American it. Else's, and the American. I mean, that, that's ridiculous to say that if you don't like it, then everybody else must be liking it for some fake reason. Yep. Uh, no, I'm I'm saying that uh, people are going to like it just because it's Tarantino. That's just some people are going to like well, it and make that's excuses what I'm saying, for it. Though. I'm saying that I had I had to overcome. I was like, why am I not liking this, or am I liking this only because Brad Pitt is doing a great job, but I'm not enjoying the movie. I'm acknowledging that he is doing a great job, but the movie's still boring. 
Well, there's certainly movies like that. I mean, how many times have we said on this podcast where I've been like, so-and-so was better than the movie, right? Like, there's plenty of times. I think even Rami Malek, you know, I I didn't hate his performance. I thought his performance was better than what the movie Bohemian Rhapsody was. I mean, that's not an uncommon take to say that somebody can have a great performance in in an otherwise mediocre movie. But I'm going back to what you were saying, which is that you think people are going to like this just because it's Quentin Tarantino. And I think that that is, I think those people exist. Well, sure. There are some people like that, but you seem to be painting everybody with a broad swath. It's like, well, if you like this movie, you're only liking it because it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. So you feel um, some kind of obligation to then like Quentin Tarantino movies, which I would argue a lot of people didn't really care for hateful eight. So that kind of cuts against the grain of what you're saying because they don't like it just because it's a Tarantino movie. They clearly had issues with it despite it being a Tarantino movie. And I think you're going to have, that here i think i don't think that any quentin movie is really universally beloved i mean there's tons of people who don't like you know pulp fiction or kill bill or whatever i mean he's got such a a wide range of movies but i just think it's wholly unfair to say that if somebody likes this movie it's only because it's a tarantino movie and that's not what i said i didn't say it's wholly because i said there are going to be people are going to like it because of that the only way that you can like this is because you're fake. I did not did not say that. I think there's going to be okay, people well, I'm out glad there. you're clarifying. I wanted to like it because of who was in it and who made it. Like I was trying to force myself, but you know, if I'm being real, I did not really enjoy this movie. Yeah, I I don't think you're going to be alone in this. I think you know, my wife, when I walked out of the movie, you know, her and I were both talking about it and she's like, oh, you know, it's, it's fine. It's good. It's just not what I was hoping it would be. I, you know, she didn't hate it or anything, but she thought it same as you, a little long, a little boring. And even I was like, yeah, it's a little different. I got to think on this a little bit while it's not, you know, what I was initially expecting, but the more I've thought about it, the more I, I've come around on it because like I said, that I feel like there was very much Quentin Tarantino, very not. So I don't think that, it's going to be universally loved. And I, but I do oddly enough, like I said earlier, I do think that there's going to be people who traditionally don't like Tarantino movies who do like this one because he does for the most part askew a lot of the, the vulgarity that he's had in his movies before. And the violence is not there up until the very end. So he does take a giant step back from some of these things that are his signature and he puts them in the background or at least puts them on the back burner for a little bit before he gets to them. And I think that's going to make it better for some people. Yeah. Those people that don't like good movies might like this, you know? And so, (laughs) but, but I did want to go go. back to slandering people again. I want to go back to the, uh, um, the Manson murders. And so as soon as they introduced that, but I guess you knew that going in that Manson was involved, right? Yes. So I, I didn't, I don't know where I missed that. Um, but so once that once they introduced that element into the movie, um, knowing that it was Quentin Tarantino, I knew that he wasn't going to make this any sort of historically accurate. So did you know that he was just going to turn the whole thing on its head and not have them die and all that? Or do you think he was just going to be involved somehow? Um, I honestly didn't know. So I knew Manson was introduced and obviously Sharon Tate's in the whole movie. But I, I did not know what his end game was with this. Like I knew that they were building up towards that moment. Because the minute you introduce Manson and the timeline they start doing, you know that it's building towards the Manson murders. I just didn't know what Quentin was going to do with it. Yeah, because I mean you look at Inglorious Bastards, clearly not historically accurate. You know? <laughs> right. And so <laughs> that's not how Hitler died. Um and so I knew that he was gonna do something different than that. Um, I just didn't know how much he was going to put, you know, Rusty involved, but he knew he was going to do something cool. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure how that was going to go down at the end. I wasn't sure if they were going to go after, um, Sharon Tate at her house and Brad Pitt was going to somehow get involved or what, but then clearly once they spun it to go the other way and they showed up at, at, uh, Rick Dalton's house. I knew that that was going to be the, now we're at the twist, right? And this is where it's coming in. And I really like that. I didn't draw the comparison between once upon a time in Hollywood, the title and the whole once upon a time fairy tale. So in the end, this ends up being the, you know, what would have happened once upon a time if, you know, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth had existed and they 
had redirected the Manson murders and Sharon Tate would still be around. So I, I thought that was cool because that I didn't realize the implications of the title until we got there to the end. So did you do a double take when she's watching the movie? Like, did you think when uh, Margot's watching the movie of Sharon Tate? What do you mean? What would I have double Well, I was trying to see. I was like, wait a second. Is that Margot? I was like, no, that's not Margot. <laughs> like, I didn't know if they, they, oh, they, yeah. they put her in there. And I was like, that's not Margot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought they might have in the beginning. But then as soon as it came out on screen and it was Sharon Tate, I was like, okay, so they're going to leave that. Which I actually thought was pretty cool to leave her actual footage in the movie and then us understand that while Margot's playing Sharon Tate, this supposed to be Sharon Tate. So I, I get it. I thought that was a nice little touch by Quentin to, to be appreciative because I, I do think that one of the things I had heard going into this was, you know, how would Sharon Tate's family, you know, I guess take the movie or would they sign off on the movie? And then I'm guessing, you know, Quentin went and told him what he was going to do and they were probably all for it because it's really kind of like an homage to her throughout the whole movie about uh, her career and, you know, how, what life would have been like had that not happened. So, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why her family would have an issue with what was presented on the screen. So um, I thought that was all cool. I just didn't know if they were reenacting the movie and putting Margot in there. And then I was like, is that Margot? And I was like, no, that's not Margot. <laughs> you know, after yeah. she fell down almost immediately, you know, when they showed her on screen over the luggage. And I was like, I still can't tell. And then they did a close up on her. And I was like, oh, they just used the actual footage. And that's a very Tarantino thing to do. Yeah. I, I thought that was cool. I, you know, you mentioned earlier that they, they kind of put Margot Robbie in the background. And I, and I do agree with that. I think that that whole Manson, Sharon Tate thing was mainly there because of its involvement in the time period. And I think, like I said earlier, I think Quentin wanted to have that be there to really solidify. I think there's a lot of metaphors going on with the death of Hollywood and a whole bunch of stuff going on there that I don't know that we need to get into, but I like how it's there and he goes all the way around it. But I really think that she is in the background. I don't think Margot Robbie's given a really good chance to turn in a great performance because that's just not what Quentin was asking of her. He basically was saying, Hey, can you basically look like Sharon Tate? And we're going to walk people through some of the, some little moments here and there of, of her time, you know, her events around this time period, just so we can give people an idea of the setting. And there's this thing going on. And I think he's kind of keeping you off balance a little bit by, making you unsure whether you should focus more or care more about the Sharon Tate angle or the, the Cliff and Rick angle. And obviously with Tarantino, you expect them to come back together in the end and, and they do, but in a, in a different way. So I do feel bad a little bit for Margot Robbie because I just don't think she was given an opportunity to really act a whole lot other than just be Sharon Tate. But I, I'm fine with that. I, I'm not going to knock her for that. I'm not going to knock Quentin for that. I think it's fine. Well, definitely not going to knock her for it, but, but I was expecting you know, kind of that trio to carry the movie, you know, and I thought we'd have a lot more interactions with, you know, all three of them and they really weren't. And she was kind of on the back burner. That was kind of disappointing. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you give a, you know, star studded cast, you know, here's, here's a list of the people in the movie. And you're like, wow, you know, that's, that's possibly one of the, the best casts ever, you know, sure. <laughs> put together. And, uh, and then when they're not utilized like that, it's uh, it's sad, but I I think I think that's just expectations, right? Like we see this and we expect some kind of, I don't know what we expected, some kind of hijinks or crime fueled thing going on, and it really just ended up being Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton and their story and how their events take place in 1969 Hollywood. I mean that that's really what it is. That those two, outside of those two, I mean nobody probably gets any more than like. 15, 20% screen time. I mean, it's really just those two. Right. And I also wanted to, to ask you, because this felt very not Tarantino to me. I mean, it was to include Bruce Lee, but mm -hmm. he's a big Bruce Lee fan. And to have Bruce Lee get his mm -hmm. ass kicked, you know, seemed <laughs> out yeah. of character. Yeah. So I actually, I think I read this scene wrong when I watched it and it wasn't until I did a little bit of reading afterwards that I, I guess my interpretation was wrong. So I'm going to tell you what I thought when I watched it. Okay. 
So I thought he was angling, he, Cliff Booth slash Brad Pitt was angling to get a job, right? He's always asking Rick Dalton, you know, for opportunities to go, you know, be a stuntman somewhere. He's, he's his stuntman, but he also wants to be a working stuntman in Hollywood. And he talks to him about this one specific role and Rick Dalton says, well, so-and-so is working on the Green Hornet right now and it's just not going to happen. And they cut back to, you know, Brad working at Rick Dalton's house. And I thought what was happening was Brad was having a, let's call it a daydream, right? About what would happen if he went to the studio and tried to go ask for a job on uh, Rick's set. And then it kind of was playing out. Here's how this would happen kind of thing. So that he would go down there and he would talk to Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell would get him on board. And then he would end up fighting Bruce Lee and get kicked off the set. And he's like, yeah, that's about right. And then he came back. Oh, no. That 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 was my read on it the first time. But it sounds like after reading that that actually happened. Right. It was... Uh, okay. These uh, are the people that also did Green Hornet. And that's what happened on Green Hornet. So it was, it was wise not to bring Brad to this new movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sucks. Because I, I, I like it better with... Him thinking uh, he can the, fight Bruce Lee? No, 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 no. I I actually like it better the way that it is. I just wish I had had that interpretation of it as it was going down because then I kind of chalked it up to a daydream and I'm like, okay, well, that's why he was able to go toe-to-toe with Bruce Lee because he's just daydreaming all of this. But in reality, that's what happened. And I, I think that's a cooler story and I just wish I had, I had pieced that together when I was watching the movie. I don't know why I missed Well, I think that. I know. I mean, they're obviously trying to build up Brad Pitt's character, you know, mm-hmm. of he's... He can fight Bruce Lee, you know, and yeah. so you're you're waiting for him to use that later in the movie because they just set up that he could do that. Uh, but right. it just feels weird coming from a such a big Bruce Lee fan that he would have Bruce Lee get his ass kicked in a parking lot. Well, and I didn't really think he got his ass kicked. I mean, he got one kick in and then he did the same kick again and Brad threw him against a car and that was the end of it. They didn't really get to go any further than that. I mean, I do think if there was any more complaints about how he wrote Bruce Lee. I think he came off as very um, arrogant. Well, arrogant and not actually good, but more of a shit talker kind of thing. Like he could run his mouth really well, but couldn't, you know, basically that Bruce is all talk. Yeah. Um, So I could see that aspect of it, but then they threw some other scenes in later where he was like training Sharon Tate. And I think they tried to soften that, but yeah, I agree with you a little bit of a weird angle to take considering uh, Tarantino's love for Kung Fu movies and specifically Bruce Lee, um, but it worked. I thought it. I mean, that's a pretty cool way to set up a guy for being a, a kind of a badass, right? Is to have him go toe to toe with Bruce Lee and throw him into a car. Well, and it's a whole. It's a hilarious scene too, because then you know the wife comes out, or Kurt Russell's wife comes out, starts yelling, and he gets kicked off the set. I just, I thought that whole thing was great. No, I, I, I liked it. I just thought it was weird for Tarantino, you know. But again, yeah, you, you still have this setup of, you know, you have the era, you have Leo, Brad Pitt, Margot. You throw Bruce Lee in there, and again, I'm like, how do you, how do you mess this up? You know, and so I'm still really high of just the what could have been, and just very let down. I knew walking out of this movie, this was not going to be something that you liked because it is Seinfeld esque in the sense that we're just following people around, and whatever happens to them happens to them, and we just kind of are along for the ride. There's really no central thread of a plot. And that is typically not something that you've enjoyed. Um, I'm going to name drop our friend Larson again because I'm very anxious for him to see this because not only do, not only is he a huge Quentin Tarantino fan, but I think this is right up his alley. The fact that it is so loose and meandering and character driven, I think he's going to eat it up. And as usual, I think I will be in the middle of you two whenever the ratings eventually come out in our side conversations. But I think there's going to be people that. If you if you don't really feel like you need a central plot to drive a movie along and you're okay with those movies, because we have those a lot. I mean, there's there's tons of movies out there that are really loosely plot and you just kind of follow along. Um, if you like those, this is for you. If you if you really like that that thread of driving something and more action and stuff like that, I, yeah, I can see why it's going to feel like a little long and uh, maybe a little slow for you. Yeah, Larson would love this just because it's not good. <laughs> there you go again slandering people who like the movie 
you're going to alienate a lot of listeners right now. There, there's going to be people out here that love this movie, and uh, they're not going to be happy with your takes on this. Wow. Not not your takes on the movies. Your take about people that that don't like or that do like this movie. Yeah. Well, they like not not good movies. If that's the case. That's just <laughs> that's just fact. So, I mean, do you think anybody is going to give this five stars? Truly. Yes. Really. Yes, there will be people that that come away from this saying this is their favorite Tarantino movie. I can I can almost I, I will guarantee it. There will be people that say that. That same people that love Justice League. N- no, <laughs> not by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. It's the best superhero movie ever. I, I do think it's his most unique movie in the sense that, like we said, there's some aspects of this that feel very very much not Tarantino. And there's some aspects of this that feel very, very much peak Quentin Tarantino. So it's just going to be a matter of what you were wanting, what kind of movies you like, what you were expecting. And I think for some people, this is going to really be a home run for them. They're going to love Pitt and love DiCaprio, love the scenes that they were put in. Um, So yeah, I, I absolutely think there are going to be people that rate this five stars, just like I know there's people that don't really care for Inglorious Bastards, whereas I think it was his best movie. So, you know, I don't know. They will be there, though. No, I don't doubt it. Do you have anything else? I don't think so. All right. Well, I think I'm running out of things to say, even though I, I know that I would love to get a second viewing in and talk about this movie after I've gotten my second or third viewing in. But as of now, I think I'm out of things to say. I am Thor, son of Odin. As long as there is life in my breast, I am running out of things to say are you ready so after all of this all this conversation all this back and forth your big groan at the beginning where are you at on the rating gave it a two and a half Gave it a two and a half, and the performances okay. got it up to two and a half. It's an average. Oh my god! I was getting ready movie. to ask this. The average performances movie. got it up to two and a half. So it's only watchable because Leo and Brad are in it. That's that's wow. my take. That's my so, take. If, if they weren't in it, I think any other any other actor. Because truly, I don't think you get better than those two. Period. Any other actors, and this is a a two. This is a I don't watch this again. Wow. Wow, that two and a half is is average. way too. It's an low. average movie. It is not an average movie. It is it is not an average movie. It is at the very least it is a three, and even a three I would have been like, okay, come on. I mean, if you look at other stuff that's down in that range, uh, I, I just I can't even fathom. So, so it's your worst Tarantino movie, is what you're saying? I would assume. You're getting ahead of yourself. Well, I'm just trying to put things in perspective a little bit to our audience since we have not talked a lot of Quentin Tarantino on this podcast. I would assume that you've got this below. I would assume your bottom is maybe like Hateful Eight and Jackie Brown or maybe Death Proof. Uh, My bottom two are Jackie Brown and Death Proof. I've only seen Death Proof once and I I did not enjoy it, but I have to think that I would enjoy it more than this. So those are the three bottom. This one. In those two, okay. Uh, Jackie Brown starts starts to creep up a little bit, um, but I've only seen Death Proof once, and I've only seen this once. Okay, do you like Death Proof? No, not really. Okay, do you like Jackie Brown? No, not really. Okay, because like for me, I have my Quentin Tarantino rankings, but the only one I didn't care for was death proof. So even though Jackie Brown's at the bottom or toward the bottom, I I still liked it. And same with hateful eight. Um, it's going to be down towards the bottom for me, but I still like it. So really the only Tarantino movie that I have down there is a uh, death proof where I don't like it. So I'm just trying what to get saves, a sense for what saves Jackie Brown is Samuel Jackson, even though I despise his hair. <laughs> well, sure. And his little soul. What do you, I don't even know what you call that. It's not a goatee. It's, it's a like soul a, patch. A, it's like a longer soul patch. Elongated soul patch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well. well as much as those, those annoy me, I love him in it. Sure. But the rest okay. of it, I could, I could do it. God, that. two and a half. That is... It's an average movie. What's wrong with that? Oh, my God. No, I mean... There's a lot I of just... bad movies out there. And, well, uh, what I'm saying is there's average movies, and then while you may not 
overly like this one as a Tarantino movie. I still think that the quality of movie you're getting, the quality of performances you're getting, even if you thought it was a little slow and boring, I still think it's superior to most other average movies and probably is at least by default worthy of a three or three and a half just because of like the way things are presented, the filmmaking that's put into it. The Well, uh, on your weird, weird ass scale of average is three. Sure. Yeah. But my average movie is in the middle at two and a half. And man, so that's, that's where it's at. All right. I do not agree with that. So what did you moving on? Then, sir? I am at a four. God, a really? solid four. Get out of here. Well, well, I told you the whole podcast about how much, I mean, have I not walked you through all the things I liked about it? Every time you said you didn't oh, like something, I, I thought was you'd come to like, your well, senses like by the time you got to your star rating. No, well, no, a it's a four. four. Yes. So, what's the lowest Tarantino rating you've given? Um, I don't know because I think I watched Death Proof and Jackie. I don't think I've rewatched Death Proof and Jackie Brown since we've been on Letterboxd, so I don't have ratings for them. Um, Death Proof would be the only one I think that could dip into a below three territory. So, Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards. Those better be fives. Pulp Fiction better be a five. Uh, Inglorious is a five. I, I'm not sure on Kill Bill because, again, I don't think I've rewatched those since we've got Letterboxd. So I don't have a rating on those. If I did, it'd just be from memory, which uh, I do remember liking Kill Bill 1 more than Kill Bill 2, especially because of my affinity for the kung fu movies that he's imitating. So Inglorious is definitely five stars. I would assume I have Pulp Fiction at five, maybe Reservoir Dogs at four and a half. Um, my, my QT ratings... My, You're my saying ratings only rating, half a star... Worse than Inglorious Bastards. I'm sorry, than Reservoir Dogs. Uh, yes, but it's also been probably at least ten or fifteen years since I've seen Reservoir Dogs. I just haven't revisited a lot of Tarantino movies, so we're going off of of old stuff here. But they're very different movies. They are I mean, very they're, different. They're movies, Quentin Tarantino but... movies, but the, I mean, saying one is a four star and one is a four and a half. I mean, yeah, they're it's just that initial like, hey, this is what I would give this movie. I mean, I haven't really broken it down to say this is why I would give them each, you know, their rating. But well, right that's now, that's at, what we do here is you break them down. Well, yes, and we have broken down Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, if we want to go do another retro it's review in, and do it consistency. On, on Reservoir Dogs, we certainly can do that. But So if we yes, go through I, Reservoir Dogs, which I'm willing to do now, uh, will that lower your rating after we break down Reservoir Dogs of Once Upon a Time comparatively? Uh, no, because I think that even if you give two movies the same rating or give them... Um, you know, a half star difference. I think that you can still stack rank them. I could be like, hey, here's a four star movie. Yeah, but this is nowhere movie. near the quality of of any of those. Well, Even straight in your entertainment opinion, value. In your opinion, I mean, that's what this is all about. And everybody would, you know, some people are going to laugh at me for giving this four stars. Some people are going to laugh at you for giving this two and a half stars. I mean, I that's the nature so. of the game. I think mine's dead on. <laughs> you can I, I will say most that people are my, giving it the the Leo bump. My my wife, I told you what her thoughts were. She said it was a little slow, a little meandering and stuff, and she was still at a three and a half. So she still enjoyed it, even though she had some of the similar complaints that you did. Well But she's I a big Quentin Tarantino fan. I think we've already established my thoughts on her rankings. <laughs> I don't know that we have, <laughs> but either way, uh this will be interesting to see how this plays out. Because I do think there are gonna be people that are more in line with you and more in line with me. And that's just how it goes. So what's your favorite part? I had a tough call on this one. Uh, there's a lot of little moments here and there. I, I like the ending a lot because you finally get full Tarantino. I really like the moment that I mentioned earlier where Cliff Booth goes to the Manson compound and it really got kind of dread filled there for a little bit. But I think if I had to pick one that I like the most, it's, the whole TV show within a movie part where Rick Dalton's trying to film his, you know, Western show with Timothy Oliphant and he's having trouble. So he goes in the trailer and yells at himself and gets himself all psyched up and then comes back and delivers that killer monologue and throws the girl down. And just that whole scene was so well written. I like the idea of it being a TV show within a movie. And I thought Leo killed that scene. So I would probably go with that, although I, I thought Cliff Booth was the better character. I, he was just more enjoyable to me, but Leo crushed it as, as Rick Dalton, and I really like that scene, so that's mine. Side question. Yep. Who do you enjoy as an actor more, Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio? 
Oh, that's tough. I tend to think that it's easier to say that you enjoy Brad Pitt because I think that he gets a little bit more versatile in his catalog. Um, you know, if you try to think about Leo having fun, you know, you get a little bit of Wolf of Wall Street, I think. But, you know, Brad Pitt, I Django. think. Yeah, I mean, he's really good in that. I just, I guess I kind of feel like Brad's more fun is what it feels like to me. Whereas Leo feels like he's always going for the Oscar, if that right. makes sense. And nope. I don't know that that's Perfectly an accurate. Okay, I don't know that that's accurate. I'm not saying that that's all Leo does. I just, that's the impression that their movie selections give off. So I, I think Brad's more fun. Agreed. Yeah. All right, so what was your favorite moment? Um, which led me to almost anything with Brad Pitt in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of my favorite parts. Um, and while I'm a big Bruce Lee fan, uh, I, I liked that scene, but I, I was also let down with that scene. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy to say the end, which is what I'm going to do. But I like the end when he's fighting them all in yeah. his house. Yeah. So I, I, I just enjoy because it wasn't just a straight he, him just kicking their ass. You know, it was using the pit bull, you yeah. know, and, and some different techniques throwing the can at him right right you know there's a small things like that in in that final scene that that i really enjoyed yeah i mean to me there's some lines in there that are, are memorable right because he when he's asking him who he is and he's like i'm the devil i've come to do the devil's work he's like no nah, it was it was more stupid than that and <laughs> when he's trying to figure out his name there, there's some good stuff he's high on acid i mean that that whole last 15 20 minutes is so he said dead, he was you know? the devil <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, so I'm guessing you have a lot more than one thing you would change, but let's get your top one. Uh, too long. You cut it down to two hours, and maybe I have a different opinion. Hmm. And so, and I think there is more than enough dead space in there to do that. I think you could truly cut half an hour to 45 minutes out of you know Margot walking around. Of you know, and I like Margot, and I want more of Margot, but I want her doing something. Uh, same sure. with Brad Pitt or same with Leo. Actually, I don't think Leo had as many of the dead air uh, scenes, but there were a lot of them that just felt like they were dragging on with with no no dialogue, no anything really visual going on. It was just stuff. Yeah, like so I actually have the same thing that I would change, except I don't say 30 to 40 minutes. I would say 10, no more than 20 but there's, I don't know where it would come from because there's so many areas that I like. Like, for example, there's one scene that's not overly relevant where Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth are watching his episode of FBI and they're just commentating over the top of it. And he's like, "Oh, that guy's a prick," you know, when he shoots him and stuff like that. That's funny. It adds to their relationship. Sure, for I, me. I, so agree. I don't, I don't and know mo- exactly most, where. Most of what I was talking about was the the non dialogue and also nothing happening scenes, which there's plenty of. I, I like don't know. I feel, I feel like your definition of nothing happening is very different than actual nothing happening. I'd like to take a stopwatch if I were to ever watch this again and just cut out scenes. <laughs> and again, <laughs> well, it has I, nothing like, to do with the dialogue part. It's just it, they're just so long between those that uh, I think I could do it without cutting out any uh, any dialogue. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's a it's an interesting experiment. I'd like to see what you get on that because I think your definition of nothing happening and actually nothing happening are two very different things. <laughs> All right, so what's your casting change? So it's hard when you have an all star cast like this. Mm-hmm. Um, almost everybody is is top of their game, even. But I took out Al Pacino. Wow, why? I I didn't like him in this. I don't know. I didn't feel like. He was being the character that I thought Quentin wanted him to be. Oh, really? Because he came across as like a kind of a schmoozy, you know, B-level movie producer kind of guy. I mean, a schlocky. That that really seemed right in line for me. See, I didn't, I didn't get that from him, and I don't know if it's because I'm trying to wrap so many different Al Pacino roles into this, and because he didn't have much screen time. I'm maybe projecting mm-hmm. and I didn't get what I thought, like you said, what that role that you're going for, um, as, as that I didn't, hmm. I didn't put those two together. I thought Pacino actually kind of distracted from what I thought that guy should have been. 
you say Al Pacino and you're like, yeah, well, duh, get Al Pacino if you can. But I, uh, I took him out. Okay. Who'd you put in then? John Turturro. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, that doesn't work for me at all. Uh, I like John it. Turturro has never struck me as a sleazy Hollywood producer. That just, I don't know why that oh, doesn't, I th- I that doesn't he, mesh with me for that. I think he could do that swimmingly. I think the reason partially why Al Pacino works so good is because he is kind of like Hollywood royalty. So you can kind of get that that feel of, you know, somebody who's, you know, got all this money and clout and power and stuff like that. So it, it feels right that he's in that role. I don't think Turturro, even just from a casting standpoint, brings that kind of air into that role. I think he brings cheesy, you know, spaghetti western B director. I think that's more of what I had in mind of that. Uh, listen, pal, your your career's garbage, and I'm giving you a job. So uh, come do this. Yeah, I, I'm not going to agree with you on that one. I liked Pacino in the role, and I don't see Totoro as being in that role. So who'd you uh, who'd you swap out then? Well, we actually referenced him earlier. So at some point, John Kreese. God, yes. I just more John Kreese. Obviously, there's nothing that can be bad with more John Kreese. Um, no, but like the one thing I did find a little weird with this movie is that there's almost no narrator for, you know, three fourths of the runtime. And then right when it tries to switch gears into, okay, now we've kind of messed around enough, but we're here at the night of the Sharon Tate murders or the day of the Sharon Tate murders, um, we're going to throw a heavy narrator in there. It kind of caught me off guard that that happened and it felt a little weird. And then obviously I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, whose voice is this? And I got it pretty quickly, but it was Kurt Russell, which I thought was weird because Kurt Russell is, yeah, yeah, he's in the movie. And then I was like, well, why wouldn't you have Sam Jackson do the narration? Because that's exactly what he did in, in glorious bastards. He's not in the movie, but he comes in over the top and does the narration. So I would have taken Kurt Russell out of the narration role and just dropped in our boy, Sam Jackson. That's real weak. Uh, I mean, I agree with you, but yeah, the, but it's but a, I, it's a weak spot. I also out. thought all of the casting was spot on. Like, I I sat there and thought about every role. Went down the cast list. I'm like, I liked Bruce Dern. I liked Timothy Oliphant. Like, I was getting into the like, to the point where I would have been pulling some random guy out, and I was like, nah, none of that works. And then I was like, oh yeah, the narrator. That didn't really, I didn't really like that it was Kurt Russell. So, Quentin usually does a really, really good job of casting and it's really hard to find roles that you would switch for that. So I think that, uh, I think that, I think I like this a lot. Just get my boy Sam in there. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. I just say, <laughs> yeah, more opportunity there. So what award you give it? I said that it's Quentin Tarantino's most accessible movie. And I, I've mentioned that several ooh, times ooh. before. I think it's I think it is because I think you're now whether people like it or not is a different story, but I think the things that are typically off putting about Quentin Tarantino movies, the things I mentioned earlier, the vulgarity, uh, the violence, the drugs, whatever it is, the crime, you know, there's a lot of things that people really don't like about that. But this movie really gets rid of all of those for I mean that's you know that's the all bo- in the here. Book of the runtime. Well, but it's not it's not as in your face. I, I don't think this is as abrasive as most of his other movies. Uh, I, I agree I, with that, but well, it's still and that's there. Why I'm saying it, well, but that's why I'm saying it's the most accessible. By, by lowering that level of in-your-face abrasiveness, you're then raising the level of it being accessible for everybody because you know there's going to be people who live during that time period who might be interested in seeing it just because of the setting. And I think that there's not as much to off-put audience viewers as in his typical movies where some people might say Quentin Tarantino is an acquired taste. I would say that this is something that you don't necessarily have to have that acquired taste to fully enjoy. So I think that's what makes it accessible. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if by accessible, I I just don't. I don't agree with you. <laughs> Do you have a reason? Because, well, I mean, think about I it mean, this accessible way. Accessible somebody who doesn't like, you know, drugs or violence or, or cussing in, in the movie, that's still here. And, well, right, and but then what I'm you saying add a uh, three-hour runtime. Um, well, okay. Accessible if you have a nap before. Like, how much drugs is there in this movie? Uh, I mean, would you, would, you com- would you compare the drug use of this to, say, Pulp Fiction? Because it's nowhere near the same. No. 
Okay, would you compare the violence in this to Inglorious Bastards or Hateful Eight? Oh, there are, are there I mean, any drugs in Inglorious Bastards? Not that I can remember. There's drinking, but what I'm saying is, I'm not saying that it is, you know, a broad audience accessible movie. What I'm saying is, it's his most accessible movie. So I think Inglorious. Whereas Bastards I would never, take. I, I would never say, "Hey, mom, you know." Right now, go check out even Inglorious Bastards because she doesn't like the violence and stuff. And I think there's scalping in that. There's Nazis getting their faces off. Like, there's some things like that that, like, while they're in this movie, I agree with you. They're they're toned down from a normal Quentin Tarantino level. And I think that's why I'm saying like you could go recommend this movie to more people than what you could like Inglorious or Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. Like, it, it's more likely to be broadly liked than I think other movies of his. And again, because I don't think it's a good movie, I don't think it'll be broadly liked. Yeah, but accessibility doesn't always mean good, necessarily. It just means that it's more inviting to an average moviegoer. Well, my award. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear it. Worst Tarantino movie. Wow, below Death Proof. Uh, And that's only... I haven't seen Death Proof since it came out, but I think so. Wow, I like. So I'd like to think that I could watch Death Proof again and pull out some wins, but I'm having a hard time remembering it. But it's uh, it's either tied or or definitely the worst. And see, here's the thing: like you can say when you're doing that, like you could say it's the worst Tarantino movie, but you still like it. But you're saying it's the worst Tarantino movie, and you're saying you don't really care for it. Like if I had to pick the worst Christopher Nolan movie, I'd be like, it's still good. It's just not. It's my least favorite. Christopher Nolan movie. Um, but no, you're actually saying that this was an average movie and it's your the worst Quentin Tarantino movie. I'm saying it's an average movie and the worst, yes, Quentin Tarantino movie. But I'm going right. with. It, it, Lock it in. Die on that hill. I, can't, I cannot wait for you to give your Twitter handle at the end of this and See, uh, I don't, get some feedback I don't need on to that. die on the hill because there's not well, that many to. people charging up it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might find out on Twitter once this episode goes live or once your review goes live. We'll All have right. to see. Deal. All right, so if you liked this movie, you would also like... I went with uh, The Nice Guys. Is it okay. Mr. Nice Guys? As, as, now that no, I'm... it's The Nice Guys. Okay. Russell Crowe and, and Baby Goose. And Baby Goose. Same yeah. same time period, sort of similar characters, relationship. And um, I just think it's a better movie. It's more fun. More stuff happens. Um, good acting. I just, uh, just enjoy that. I think if you liked this, then you'll definitely like that. Well, surprisingly enough, it's a blind spot for me. Uh, despite it having Baby Goose, I have not seen it yet. It's been on my DVR for like two years, so I need to remedy that, and then I'll let you know if I agree on with that. On our 100th episode, you said he has... You celebrate his entire collection, and you've still yes. not seen Mr. Nice Guys. It's the Nice Guys, <laughs> and I've only seen... I shouldn't say I've never seen any of it. I have seen bits and pieces of it. I need to give. I need to sit down and give it my full attention, but I just have not been able to do that yet. So I can't comment. I'll take your word for it. It feels right because it's like... I know it's like a buddy cop movie. Shane Black wrote it. Lethal Weapon, buddy duo kind of movie, and I think that there's vibes of that given off by Tarantino and... Or no, not Tarantino. Given off by Brad Pitt and Leo in this. So I, I can see just conceptually how that would work. So what'd you go with? Okay, this one's going to be interesting, and you're Uh-oh. probably going to just laugh at me for Interstellar, this, but... somehow? Nope. No. <laughs> um, so this movie actually feels a little bit Coen Brothers-ish to me, in the sense that there's a lot of things going on, and sometimes they don't necessarily care so much about the plot. They let the characters and all the little different angles come into play on their stories. So it feels a little bit like that, and then it got me thinking about rewatchability and something that while I maybe liked the first time, something that grew on me a little bit with strong characters, but you know, not much of a central plot driving it. And I actually landed on Lebowski. What? Yeah. Yep. No. I, I think that if you like this movie, which means you are okay with strong characters and dialogue, really driving the movie as opposed to any kind of central plot driving the movie, um, humorous moments here and there. 
I think the Coen Brothers-ish feel, I think this does have that kind of feel. I think that if you like that kind of free-flowing movie with those kind of strongly written characters and moments, I think I think you would like Lebowski. Well, I think you'd like Lebowski if you like this movie, sure. Because Th- Lebowski is exa- a better movie. But, <laughs> that's but, exactly but, what no, the award is. Uh, it's not an award. It's a question. But, well, well, sure. But, but it's, if you like this movie, you would also like, and you literally just said verbatim, well, I think if you like this movie, you would like yeah, Lebowski. And, so, and, yeah, and then, but you didn't let me finish. But uh, comparing <laughs> these two, uh, I don't think are are very similar at all. Well, one is typically more of a comedy, although I would say that Lebowski is not typically your outright comedy like what people tend to think of it as. And I think that this movie has comedic moments and humor slightly, but it's more about the structure. Like I if said, you like this, plot, you'd like Shawshank Redemption. Well, because I think everybody would like Shawshank, so I guess technically you're right. Well, I'll listen to you if you want to make some comparisons between this and Shawshank. I'll listen. I laid out my reasons why I thought that these were compatible uh, recommendations. I think if you watch the two of them, you say these two are not similar movies at all. Well, that depends on how much of a thinking cap you want to put on. If you want to look at it and say, well, one's a comedy and one was a you know, in, drama, in I guess. In the aspect no. that they're both movies, I guess you're right. Right, but I just laid out like three or four points for you. So you can choose to ignore them, even though I laid out three or four points as to why I made that. Now, do you disagree with them? Yeah. I disagree with oh, those you three do? Four points. Yeah. You, you disagree that this movie is driven by characters, strongly written characters, and uh, I, less like, of a plot, like a loose plot? I'm saying that the dialogue in this is nowhere any anywhere near Lebowski. Okay, that's fine. I'm just saying that it's Which driven by its characters and I said it's driven by its characters and dialogue, and it does have, for me, good dialogue moments. Is Lebowski's better? Sure. What I'm saying is the movie is principally driven by those things as opposed to a plot, which is very similar to Lebowski. I think that's a cop out of saying it doesn't have a plot and so it's driven by characters because well, that's the only thing that you have. Well, that it's not a cop out. I mean, that's it. I'm not gonna sit here and say that it has a plot i'm saying that it really does not have a plot it relies solely on the events of the characters to drive the movie along i've said that and you, and you don't think lebowski runtime. doesn't have i think a lebowski plot? is very very much like that you are just following the dude and walter and the other jeffrey lebowski you are really just along for the ride for the events that are happening to them there's very like little nuggets here and there that might kind of move it along but you could say the same about this movie i'm saying it's not driven by its plot where the plot is forcing everything along through the runtime it's the plot is being pulled along by the characters i think we're gonna have to disagree to disagree here <laughs> well hopefully we get a little bit of chatter once uh this goes out and we can hear what everybody else thinks all right all right well that does it for our episode on once upon a time in hollywood thanks everybody for listening carson where can they find you on twitter to yell at you at Carson Graff, G-R-A-F-F, as in Frank Frank. And you can find me at at Two Views Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T. And you can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at at Two Views Movies. Feel free to email us at twoviewsmovies at gmail.com. And like we mentioned earlier, don't forget to subscribe to the show via Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen. And be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word about the show. I think that's it. Hobbs and Shaw is up next, I believe. <laughs> yeah, and you got some watching to do. Fast yeah, that's and not Furious happen. Marathon. <laughs> yeah, not Start happening. it now. <laughs> All right, well, by the time I'm done with that marathon, uh, Hobbs and Shaw will be out and we will have reviewed it. So either way, look forward to Hobbs and Shaw, Rock and Satan. Why not? Why not? I mean, how are you going to know what's going on if you haven't seen it? Uh, I'm sure There's I'll There's no way together. that you'll be able to pick up on, on what's <laughs> happening in this movie. <laughs> You'll be so lost. You're going to be so lost. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll catch you next time. What should we do next? Something good? Something bad? Bit of both? Bit of both.